Hey there, everybody. This is Scott. I want to apologize in advance of the podcast today. We uh, have less than perfect sound quality. Unfortunately, there were some technical issues that we weren't able to become aware of until after we had all recorded and parted ways. Unfortunately, due to timing issues and scheduling issues, uh, there's just no way we have to get back and do it. I've done the best I can to normalize the sound. I think it should be acceptable, uh, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Thanks for your understanding. Everybody and welcome out to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott and David Durfee here, as always, uh, excited to do this again. How you doing, Dave? Well, the room's a lot better than it usually is when it's just you and me in the room. So. Yeah, yeah, we have a little uh, surprise uh, guest today. Uh, we have Deb Durfee with us. Hi, Deb. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> It's good to have Deb. Deb's uh, obviously my, my sweet eternal companion we're super excited to have her just worked out with her work schedule that she's able to be with us today and we plan on doing a couple of uh, special things today so we're excited to have her here with us before we get rolling though uh just want to uh, do a a quick shout out and if uh, first off we we've received a couple of really great emails lately and want to just encourage you to continue to do that you can uh, send us emails, questions, whatever at he redeems us at gmail.com. He redeems us at gmail.com. Uh, and so uh, we'll be getting to uh, some of those questions that are still there shortly. And uh, so stay tuned for that. All right. So uh, here we go, Dave. We uh, last week kind of talked about uh, a little bit more as we concluded our discussion around the fall of Adam and Eve. And uh, today we're going to move into yes, a, we are. a little exciting Christmas episode, the, I think. The coming birth of, of Jesus. But before we do, Scott, I it, it is just really impossible for me to overstate the importance of understanding the need for Redeemer which also means understanding the reality of the fall. And I, I think I get more positive feedback from family, friends, and others uh, on our podcast, on our lessons on the fall, Scott, than, than maybe any, any, other, any other podcast that we do. Because I just don't think people understand the, and appreciate the, the reality part of this is being part of the Father's plan. I, I mean, I I know we invited all of our listeners to to give thanks to God for the fall, but I'm not sure everyone has, and and even if they have or haven't, I'm not sure they all really feel it or believe it. And I just uh, again cannot overstate how important. Um, it is to understand the need for Redeemer. It was chapter 3 in Jesus the Christ when I was a young missionary that completely flipped my life and approach to living the gospel and to repentance. You know, I, I think I've shared my experience. I, I, for months, was trying to repent and didn't feel forgiven, didn't feel forgiven, didn't feel forgiven. And the reason I didn't is because I did not understand that it wasn't through my efforts, it wasn't through the church, it wasn't through, it, I needed Jesus, and I did not understand my need for Jesus. 
and I think if you if you miss understanding uh, more fully the fall, you 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 will not understand as fully as you need to, and feel enough gratitude for um, a savior and redeemer. So uh, we we last week I know we gave the seven points of the importance of understanding the doctrine of the fall, one of the three pillars of the plan of redemption. But I just wanted to just say one more time that um, because I've been thinking about it all week, it's been on my mind all week. Um, it's just so critical, Scott, that we do not base our identity based upon the things that we do in mortality, but that we base our identity upon who we are, which includes our pre-mortal existence and our potential to become like God. So in a, you know, President Nelson Desert Books put out a new kind of devotional book, and you can read a, a quote from President Nelson for each day of the year, and someone shared this one with me recently based upon uh, our discussion on who you are. And this this is uh, for President Nelson. I think it's for December. On December 6th, he wrote in, the, in his book, Your true identity is established by understanding and becoming the person you can become. The person God wants you to be. And uh, skipping just a little bit, he says... <clears throat> From an eternal perspective, you really, who you really are, is far more important than is what you did. So one more time. From an eternal perspective, who you really are is far more important than is what you did. And I just think we really have a problem in our culture. Not just in the church, but in our in our culture of uh, of accomplishment and in our culture of success, and in, that we we base our identity upon what we do, and and that's a, that's a it's not just a mistake. I think it's a tool of the devil that we do that because um, Scott, I know people, you know people, we all know people that um, act out in some pretty horrible ways. But I'm, I've lived long enough, you know this, I hope all our listeners know this. That's not necessarily who they really are. That's not who their spirit, that's not what their spirit is. That's not who, their, their, who they were meant to become. Uh, from an eternal perspective, it is so much more important to know who you are than to focus on what you do. Because what you do is not necessarily who you are. And this is, this is so important for me, for you, for all of our listeners to get beyond the, the obvious, the actions of others and ourselves and to just focus upon our eternal identity. And further, to know that we have a Savior who covers those things that we do for whatever reason, whatever motives or the survival of the fittest things that we do to survive the world, to get through the world, or because of things in our past or our 
conditions that we live in and all the other things that God takes into account, the ultimate most important knowledge one can have that makes a difference is knowing who they are and focusing less on what they do. I'm not saying that our actions are not important. I'm not saying that what we do does not eventually determine who we become. I know there's a connection there. But again, from President Nelson, from an eternal perspective, it's just so much more important. So I hope that people will never base their identity based upon the sins and temptations they experience in a fallen, hellish world or based upon even the sins they commit in a fallen, hellish world. That is not your identity. The thing about that is, is I, I, I can see that it, it's a problem, you know, and, and even Elder, or excuse me, even President Nelson says what they did, uh, you know, which puts it past tense, yeah, right? Right, well, well, in the past. Yeah, but here's the thing, uh, you know, I, I, and I deal with this on a semi-regular basis in, in the rooms of recovery. I had a guy call me uh, just the other day who was struggling, uh, and his words, not mine, more than I ever have with this particular drug and with this particular addiction. Um, and uh, he said, but uh, uh, I need to get to a meeting. I need to get working steps against it because he, he actually kind of did see who he was and, and didn't let any of that get in the way. Right. Even in present tense, yeah, not awesome. did, not did, but do what we're doing, not yeah. what we did, but what we're doing. But you, but but is but for every one of those, there's probably um, a handful of others where I'll, I'll get the uh, same call, or or I'll know of, I'll be I'll be made aware of the same situation, and um, because it's in the process of present moment, it's really difficult for some people to get that, to see that, because yeah. of their present moment. You know, think about it. You know, for example. And, and this is probably true regardless of the sin or addiction. But whenever somebody has made a mistake, the first thing that we should do is fall to our knees, remember him, and, and call upon his name. And one of the hardest things for us to do is fall on our knees, remember him, and call upon his name. Yeah. And the reason for that is because we see ourselves in the wrong light. We see ourselves well, the, in the accuser again. Exactly. And we see ourselves and are identified by what we did what that's we a, do that's the accuser points exactly that's, that's who you are you're just a pervert and so it's super i don't know i shouldn't definitely never use words super easy when i'm talking about this but it's a little bit easier for us to understand and maybe wrap our brain around not what i did in past tense yeah. because it's behind us and we and we're coming yeah. to grips and we're coming to to uh, to uh, kind of reconcile all of that but when i'm in the process and when that doing is still a part of my fabric of my life that's creating all kinds of trouble and, and trial and so forth it's difficult to separate and say this is who i am um but because of my doings are, are kind of keeping me anchored to a dis or, or, or a um a, a false belief of who yeah. i am yeah What's your thoughts on this, Deb? You know, I just keep going back to that conference talk with President Nelson when he just simplified it with two words. Think celestial. Yeah. And I think if we focus, and it's not easy, but it's simple. <laughs> so uh, are we, I know you all know the quote, you know, are we human having spiritual experience or spiritual beings having human experiences? But maybe we should change that and we should say, are we celestial beings 
having celestial experience or are we celestial beings having celestial experiences? And the truth is, the truth is we're both. And we should celebrate that because that's part of God's plan. That is, that is part of the plan, that we would grow and progress, and especially that we would learn how to love and rely upon Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. Yeah. Anyway, with that, just kind of as a, as a recap, I hope people will thank God for the fall and, again, focus more on who they really are than what they did and uh, not ever establish their identity based upon their fallen nature. Okay, so, Scott, let's talk about the, the birth of Jesus. And, uh, you know, this all begins, really, with, I mean, we can talk about the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, and there are, depending on how you count, there are either dozens, or there are, uh, I think, Edersheim said there were like 468. 468 prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, of the birth and life and death, of, of Jesus Christ. Just in the Old Testament? Just in the Old Testament. 468. Now, I, I mean, he's using some verses, and he, you know, they fulfill, they're fulfilled, like, in four different ways. And anyway, I I really, the list that I like the most, there are 68, not 468. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the point is, uh, Jesus' birth, was and his life and his death were all prophesied thousands of years before, and really the first one was uh, in Genesis chapter three. We don't need to read it, where he just tells them, Mary, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, that um, you know Satan may have power to bruise your heel, right? And then this gets a little bit into the temple, but he has power to crush your head. That, that's really a direct uh, prophecy of uh, the birth and uh, the life, death of, of Jesus Christ, the resurrection. So it, it really begins there, and then it goes throughout. I think the most, most of the prophecies of the Old Testament are uh, found in Psalms and Isaiah. And we have lots of prophecies in the Book of Mormon. You know, Lehi. I mean, Jesus even knew his name would, or I'm sorry, Nephi even knew his name would be Jesus, Jesus Christ. And, that, and of course, uh, the uh, critics of the Book of Mormon think that's ridiculous, but uh, Nephi made it more plain, more simple. They even knew his name. So there are so many great uh, Old Testament and Book of Mormon prophecies of the coming forth of, of Jesus, but... Maybe, maybe we can share a few. I think uh, one of my favorites is uh, Isaiah chapter 7, Scott. Got it. And uh, I think about George Handel every time we read these verses, because in three weeks he wrote the uh, oratorio of the Messiah. And when I was in London this last year, one thing I wanted to see was George Handel's grave. And he's actually buried in Westminster Abbey. And uh, I remember standing there seeing the the angel that they kind of engraved above his grave and thinking, well, Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, I think it starts with about verse 12. Scott. Here we go. Uh, chapter 13, or chapter 7, verse 13. 
And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, but he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, and land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Yeah. I love this. Uh, they knew that he would be born of a virgin, that Jesus would be born of a virgin, and conceive a son, and his name would be Emmanuel, which is uh, interpreted, God is with us. God is with us. I also love the Isaiah scriptures, and I think it's in, is it chapter 9? Wonderful, uh, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. I mean, the, the Isaiah prophecies of, of Jesus, that's in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. You can... You can hear all this. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Can't, sorry. <laughs> Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, wow. Anyway, most of the, I think, uh, Handel's Messiah was, was taken from the prophecies of Isaiah. And that's, that's 700 years before Jesus is born. That even you know, predates Lehi and his prophecies. But um, I love the prophecies of the virgin birth. And when we talk about the virgin birth, Scott, uh, we, of course, think of Mary. And uh, this is, uh, Ellen McConkie said, the most elect spirit of all of Heavenly Father's spirits, chosen, foreordained to be the mother of, uh, of his only begotten Son in the flesh. And um, I just, I just really love this story of Mary and the Virgin Birth. We, we reject the immaculate conception of uh, Catholics and others. Um, the immaculate conception, of course, is not only that she was a virgin, but that she would always, that she was always a virgin. There was no ever sexual relations between her and Joseph. So therefore, they make Joseph look like an old man, because we know that Jesus had some brothers and sisters, and everybody justifies that if they believe in the Immaculate Conception by making Joseph look like he's an old man, a grandpa, and that Mary was a young woman who was willing to take on an old man and his uh, his, uh, his kids. orphan kids because yeah. their mother had died, and that this is Joseph's second marriage. We reject all that. We don't believe that, and further, we don't we don't believe in the Immaculate Conception because they believe that Mary was completely uh, not affected by the fall at all. That the the fall that she was no longer human. Then that's why they they raise her to a level of, of praying to her and a God, and in some cases to an extreme that that she's even greater than Jesus because who can be greater than Jesus? Only his mother and father. <laughs> And anyway, so we we do not believe or accept the Immaculate Conception, but we do accept the virgin birth, and I don't know how, I don't know 
the only thing I love how the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon gives us the best, really, uh, let's, let's go down to chapter 7. The Book of Mormon gives us the very best kind of description of how, of how Mary conceived in uh, Alma chapter 7. It's uh, right at the bottom of the second column. Uh, whatever verse that is, sorry. Yeah, it's verse 10. Okay, verse yeah. 10. Yeah, and behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers. She being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. There you go. That's the best description we have of how the conception yeah. occurred. Overshadowed <laughs> by the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if she was transported by the Spirit in the presence of God or how that happened, Scott. And frankly, I don't care, and we don't need to know, and Heavenly Father thinks it's so sacred, he's never going to describe it, and we'll probably never know any detail about that. All we know is that she conceived the Son of God, and that when he would be born, he would have all the effects of the flesh upon him through Mary, that he would experience all of the experiences of the fall through Mary, but that because of his divinity, only he could completely overcome all of the negative effects of the fall, not only for himself, but for all of us, because he was God. He was Adam, second Adam, some people call him, second Adam, and he is God. So I just, I just thrill with this whole uh, plan of how foreordained Mary was chosen to be. And you know, Mary, if, if she's a good Jew, uh, she's probably 15, 16 years old. She's, she's a young girl, and Joseph's probably about that same age or just a few years older. I mean, these are probably teenage kids, Joseph and Mary, and uh, the trust and the uh, preparation, no doubt, that God had had uh, put in them is is really quite amazing. Uh, the tradition is, is that uh, Mary's mother had maybe passed away by the time this right. time Gabriel yeah. appears to her. Right. And that's why he sends her to Elizabeth is for Elizabeth to kind of play that role for her and to prepare her for for the uh, motherhood. Elizabeth being the mother of John the Baptist. Yes, yeah. a cousin. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe Mary's mother's cousin. And uh, Zacharias being the high priest, struck deaf and dumb. Really, when you, when you think about the story of Christmas, we should start in July of uh, 2 B.C., uh, and, and by the way, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna get into the uh, when was Jesus born. I, I let you let me just get that out of the way right now by saying, uh, you can believe uh, anything from 7 B.C. to 1 B.C. Uh, scholars argue that they have an argument for each of those. Uh, actually, Elder McConkie and President J. Reuben Clark, uh, they uh, they believe that uh, you know he was born in 5 B.C. And uh, Elder McConkie justifies all that in his Mortal Messiah series. But Elder Talmage believes it was 1 B.C. Elder Bednar stated that it was on April 6th of 1 B.C. Uh, I mean, you know, so I, 
uh, we don't know. It's not a part of our salvation. And it doesn't salvation. matter. We don't. Right? Yeah. We don't need to know that. Yeah. And, and maybe he was buried. Maybe he was married. Sorry. Maybe he was born in December, and maybe not. I don't. I think it was April. I, I don't. Generally, there aren't shepherds tending their flock by night in Bethlehem in December. I mean, it's it's cold there in December, and uh, but maybe they were. Uh, maybe it was December. I don't know. I I really believe that the Romans changed the dates based upon the uh, you know the timing of their uh, pagan worship. I mean, they had a big celebration on December twenty fifth. The Romans uh, prior to four hundred BC or or AD prior to four hundred AD when Christianity became the the national the the religion of the empire. But anyway, they had this uh, to celebrate the birth of Sol, the solar victus god that they believed sun in. The sun god, yeah. The sun god, yeah. And that he was reborn on December 25th because the days start to get longer. You know, the, the shortest day is December 21st, and so they picked December 25th so they could have a week-long celebration of celebrating the rebirth of, of Sol, the sun god. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the Romans changing it to December 25th is not, for me, any basis of authority to think that that's when Jesus was born. Yeah. And I actually like to think it was in the spring of the year. And like a lot of things, it's moot. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no. It really doesn't matter. So, yeah. Enough said. But, 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 yeah, no, sad. sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. I think that's, uh, that's interesting. Important? No. Interesting to some, yeah. but perhaps. Deb, I want to get your take on Mary. Yeah. Well, as you were talking about that, and I probably feel like I'm stepping back a little bit, but. That's okay. While we were in Israel, there were also two places where they believed he was born. So I think there's just a lot of convoluted information. A lot of, lot of traditions. Yes, absolutely. So is it important? No, the fact that he was born, yes. <laughs> yeah. Where did you think he was born when you were there? Where did they show you that he was born? I mean, one was I in a church, I right? I that I... Yeah. yeah, yeah, one was at the church. One was at in the, the middle church. of a church. Yeah. And, and another, another one, one was, was over. in the middle of a church. Yeah. I think they were both in the... And I didn't... It, it was interesting because I, I didn't feel something powerful at either, either place. Either place, right. Yeah. I just thought, this is interesting. I... You know, the, the pictures that you see are very different than what is there. Yeah. So I, I think that's interesting that you just said. I didn't feel anything different because there were places when you definitely do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Gethsemane, I totally felt something different, yeah. right? Yeah. Golgotha, I felt something different. Yeah. The, and tomb, the tomb. Yeah. 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 Well, so we'll, we'll maybe talk more about the place, but what's your. I don't want to stop you from your thoughts on Mary. So. I have often thought about this as a woman and bearing children and having a son. Um, but I just think of the faith she must have had and the trust she must have had. And the, I think the word that comes to me is innocence. I think it was just, you know, I think of a 15-year-old child or a girl um, carrying a big burden, carrying a, um, and I wouldn't call it a burden, but a big story. And I, I feel like 
for her, it must have been, I mean, I also think about when she held that, knowing that he was a son of God, knowing that how much closer could you be to God than having that God in your womb. I mean, I can't even imagine what experiences, and I would love to sit with her and ask those questions. What was it like carrying the Son of God? What was it like raising the Son of God? I mean, it, those thoughts have gone through my mind numerous times mm-hmm. about nurturing and loving. And I mean, you have this perfect child and her being not perfect, raising and nurturing and understanding what she knew but still knowing as a small child that he's about his father's business yeah i have a picture of a little boy jesus at the top of my stairs and i remember the first time i saw that being absolutely penetrated with the spirit thinking of the innocence that he had I mean, what a beautiful depiction of that, his ministry. I like the word innocence, but I also know that Mary, if she was a student of the scriptures, and I, I know she was, I, knew, I know she knew the prophecies, which would have been an important part of her preparation for her to even believe Gabriel when he appeared. Um, anyway, if she would have known the scriptures, I mean, Alma, Book of Mormon testified of this, I'm sure there's prophecies that we don't even maybe they're not all in the bible and i know that she must have known i know she knew that if she was going to be the mother of god this was going to be rough um innocent for sure but she had to be really tough and firm knowing that wow he's going to suffer and that means i'm going to suffer i think she she went into this knowing all of that yeah. now cognitively knowing it is one thing and then experiencing it 33 years later when he's crucified on the cross and she's standing there you know at the foot of the cross what observing this um so that ex- experientially it's different than knowing it cognitively but anyway she, she would have known that even as a even as a young girl yeah, yeah. this is going to be rough this is going to I mean, she was she she was taking a lot on at fifteen, and again, must have been somewhat prepared. Maybe there have been great adversities in her life or whatever. I can't wait to someday read the Book of Mary and see the videos of her young life and how God did prepare. But anyway, Gabriel appears. Uh, if again, depending on whatever month you want to, you can kind of work that backwards. Gabriel appears if he was born in. April, he probably, right, appears sometime in the middle of the summer to Mary. And uh, she is uh, espoused to Joseph. Well, to be espoused is like you're married. I mean, a Jewish uh, engagement is uh, not like our engagements. They're a little flaky. (laughs) But did you ever break off an engagement? No. Okay, okay, well... (laughs) So many do, right? Um, we've we've had I've 
that's Saratoga Springs Temple. You know, you, you sometimes have these appointments, or you're going to do a live ceiling, and then all of a sudden it shows up uh, canceled. And and there's probably lots of reasons for that, but some of those I know are probably last-minute fear and bro broken engagements. Anyway, Mary espoused to Joseph. This would have been an arranged marriage. You know, this is... Uh, they they didn't uh, always just that marry for love. It was a different kind of love, not romantic, but uh, a sacrifice. And uh, so they she was promised. She had made a covenant with Joseph already. And for her to be told this information and then to have the Holy Ghost overshadow her and her conceive the Son of God and then to be told to go see Mary. I think it's I think it's it's awesome to think about the sequence of these events just a little bit. I, I believe, like Elder McConkie, that she would have gone to Joseph first. I think she would have told Joseph first. I think she she. I we don't have record that Gabriel told her to do that, but I I think maybe he did. And if he didn't, I think she did it out of respect and out of covenant. She went and told Joseph, hey, I'm expecting a child. This is what happened. I think she told him. I think he was prepared for this. Uh, as, you, as we read the scriptures and most commentaries uh, who comment on it, uh, make us believe that, that Joseph didn't really believe her or what's, oh, what's Joseph going to do, you know? Is he going to have her stoned? Is he going to put her away privily, give her a divorce? What's he going to do? I actually believe, based on a Jewish commentary I, I read years and years ago, I actually believe he believed her. And he had decided to put her away privily because he was afraid that he was not worthy to be the stepdad. He did not want to take that on himself and did not believe he was worthy to be the dad or the son of God. I mean, think about Joseph's situation. If Mary did go and tell Joseph, Hey, I'm expecting, and it is the Son of God. It's the, it's Emmanuel. It's Jehovah is with us, him, the Messiah. Think of Joseph. Would you? I mean, really, as a young man, would you, would you want to take that on? Uh, and anyway, I think he he had fear. Uh, it's so cool in the annunciations of Gabriel the angel, uh, to Mary, to Joseph, and eventually to the shepherds. Right? It's fear not. Fear not, fear not, which makes me wonder, what sort of fear were they experiencing? You know, how, how, just think about that. We've talked about Mary, Joseph, but even the shepherds, what kind of fear would that invoke in us? Anyway, Mary tells Joseph, and she says, I'm going to go see Elizabeth. I've been commanded to see Elizabeth. I'll be back in six months or however long she was there. I'll be back, and um, you can tell me what you've decided to do. And he wrestled with it and wrestled with it. And I actually believe, this is just me, that he he came to the conclusion that uh, I, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know that I'm capable or worthy. And that's when he has the dream or vision of the angel appearing to him, saying, Fear not and commands him to do it. And uh, at that point, I like to think he actually went down and picked up Mary and brought her home. Uh, we don't have a record of that, but there are some traditions that believe that. And I kind of like that tradition of 
once Gabriel appeared to him, he was uh, he was uh, all in. And he went down there, and I don't know where they got married or when they got married, but I believe they got married just as soon as he got that information. And uh, got that witness and command from Gabriel. So, Mary and Joseph, such an important part of, of this story. I think about Joseph. I, I was just reading in Matthew, uh, this is chapter 1, verse uh, 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example. And when you say just man, Scott, that, that is loaded. From a Jewish commentary standpoint, if Why you think just uh, man, yeah, talk to us. About that means about that. that means if if he was a just man, if he was really a good Jew, he would have stoned her. So for it say him being a just man, he was a just man. He would have fulfilled the law. Now he did have that option, but most people believe in in the circumstances Jewish commentaries that I've read that uh, for him to put her away privily. There, there had to be more to it than, I mean, he knew more than what he was really saying. And then in 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, which is important. Yeah. You know, that's a, that that's important yeah. that uh, we recognize that we'll Joseph. About his identity. Exactly. Helping him remember who he is and right. that it's through this line, through this lineage, that the Messiah will come. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> Fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. Fear not to take upon thee. See, he's, he's saying, I, I think he's already kind of come to the conclusion that it might be true because he loves and believes Mary. Yeah. He knows Mary's, he knows Mary's virtuous. He knows Mary's a good woman. He, he knows... And he's and Mary hasn't said, "Hey, I'm I'm a child by another man." Mary told him, "I had an angel appear to me, and I am the mother of God." I I think Mary clear made that completely clear to him. So, I I mean, what what Joseph is wrestling with is not whether Mary had an affair. What he's wrestling with is, really, can I do this? That's right, and that's what I'm getting at, because that, that would be so overwhelming. I mean, so what? He's a just man. Okay, that's fantastic, right? Which means that he is in the faith. Yeah. Which, and if he's in the faith, in the that, law. That's, not in just, the law that's not just a little thing. That's a big deal. I mean, it's school. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an extremely important. law. Yeah. 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so... And I think he's, Gabriel is just verifying what Mary... Mary had told him. Had already told him. Right. Okay, so here now you get the, now you get the, uh, the second witness. Now you get the witness from the angel, right? And, and you're going to be a new dad of the Son of God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I, I don't care how just, I don't care how much earthly preparation or even spiritual preparation you put into that. That seems like an oh. impossible task from a dad's standpoint, right? So think about what all that entails. Yeah. You know, as Joseph, he now becomes the protector 
of the Son of God. That's right. I, I, I read the read the proclamation to the family. Right. <laughs> that hasn't so, changed, right? So so, so many responsibilities in the Jewish culture. He was the protector. The firstborn son. And then they learn about how Herod about, you know, uh, threatened to kill all the babies. And so now Joseph has to take Mary and, and Jesus, a baby Jesus, into Egypt for a time. Yeah, which, so he's not only protecting Jesus, he's got to protect Mary. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Egypt at the time, I don't know, I, you know, that might have been a hostile environment or at least at least an unfamiliar environment for them to be in and to reestablish and you know good thing he was a carpenter and had a trade that was probably uh, you know desirable or, or in demand wherever they potentially possibly went but you know I think of Joseph we don't we don't talk a lot about in in tradition, and, it, and it's okay you know the focus shouldn't be on Joseph the focus should be on Jesus but I but as a stepfather. You know, I, I I sometimes take into consideration yeah, you can feel a little bit, yeah. and and think of, you know, what would I do? I, I you know, being a stepdad, it would have been a little bit different, you know, because uh, Mary's, you know, Jesus's real father, you know, there would have been very little chance of conflict between Joseph and Mary's real father, right, yeah. the heavenly father. So there are some some big vast differences, but there are some similarities that can draw empathy for those who have potentially been in that situation. Uh, even stepchildren can look at that and, yeah. and, and draw comfort and peace maybe in thinking, you know what, Jesus had a stepdad too, you know. And, yeah, and I'm sure, right. you know, as a stepfather, you know, you always want to do the right thing. You're serious about your approach to your relationship with Heavenly Father so that you can teach. Well, Joseph's um, was all of that and so much more. Uh, and uh, and I, I just have the, the utmost love and respect for that man because of all of that. Well, he was a man of of great trust. I mean, think of the trust God would have put in yeah. Joseph yeah. to raise his son, yeah. being God's son. Right. Uh, I just, you know, yeah. wow. And the revelations that Joseph probably would have received, I mean, the relationship and revelations that Joseph... Along the way, too. Yeah. Joseph received... Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so it's it's a special beginning, special story. Deb, what thoughts do you have? About? I was just thinking about Joseph's up, upbringing and how he was prepared, just like Mary was prepared. I think Joseph probably had his story as well, ways that he had, you know, younger, maybe trials, maybe challenges where he was a little bit, um, you know, closer to the spirit to understand so that he could hear the spirit right. so that he could receive revelation so that he could hear when the, that important message was delivered. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, you know, I love, I, I love the Michael McLean song about uh, Joseph. Uh, he's, he's, remember that? The Michael yeah, McLean song? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, and, he, and, he, and he says, uh, no, I, I, uh, he's my father. Meaning Joseph saying, "No, Jesus is my father." Uh, something to that effect. And I, I just now just think about this and what what Joseph and Mary had to know about Jesus before Jesus became a man. He knew he was the creator of the world. This this baby had created worlds. I mean, when he's laying in the manger, what is Joseph and Mary thinking? This babe created worlds. What are Anyway, I this is 
Uh, Jesus I'm, was a God before he was born. What's yeah. the the title of that? Is I was not his father; he was mine. Yeah, yeah. I I, wa I want to read those lyrics because I think wow. I I think that's important. It's yeah, powerful. Yeah, because I remember um, when I first heard this song. One of my favorites. Me too. Um, was about the time I was becoming a stepdad. Really? Uh huh. He was working late one evening when the wood he knew so well. When she thought she recognized him though at first she could not tell. As she humbly begged his pardon, a strange sadness swelled inside when she asked, Aren't you the father of the man they crucified? Then the carpenter repeated what he said so many times. He said, I'm not his father. He was mine. Mm. Then he humbly went on working with those worn and calloused hands, though he did not ask more questions. He knew she didn't understand. So he asked if she would help him, and he saw her answer in a glance. She did all the chores he asked her. She was so grateful for the chance. Then when they talked for hours of Jesus and how he knew he was divine, he said, I was not his father, he was mine. For how could one so foolish and so flawed ever hope to raise the Son of God? Mm -hmm. I love that uh, that message, and uh, that's kind of a little bit how I see it now. Now, to be honest, um, you know, what happened to Joseph, we have so much, so many holes to fill in the gaps, right? Yeah, right. We, don't, we know so little, really, but but a lot of people believe Joseph must have died. I mean, the, the really, the uh, uh, lifespan was 40-something years at the time of Jesus, and uh, 33 years by the time Jesus is crucified, most people believe Joseph has, has died, that uh, that. Uh, Jesus buried Joseph, his, his stepdad, somewhere around Nazareth. And um, that's why he's not there, and that's why Mary's alone, standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus is crucified, and why Jesus is so concerned about Mary that he says to John, who's standing there with her, Behold thy mother, giving John the responsibility, which would be, you know, amazing, overwhelming for Jesus to give John the responsibility. you got to take care of Mary. Now, I, I know James was a stepbrother to Jesus, so we believe, as Latter-day Saints, that Mary had other children after Jesus, and some daughters. He tells us in the scriptures that he had sisters. And James and uh, James, James and Jude. and Jude are, we know at least those two, are uh, half-brothers. Jesus. So he had a family. He was born and raised and, and uh, had a family in the home of, of Joseph and Mary. And uh, they went down to, uh, let's, let's just talk about the birth, I guess, now, Scott. Um, in Bethlehem, they went there to be taxed. Went down to Bethlehem. That's Can about I bring up something oh, that I found really interesting when we were studying, when I was studying the Come of Jude? Um, how even though he was a, a half brother, he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they struggled with that, didn't they? Which yeah. I think is so interesting, <laughs> like not being a prophet in your own land. Yeah, but I, I on your own family, right? But after he was resurrected, I think was when Jude said, "Oh, yeah, I guess he is the Messiah." I mean, and I think that's an important thing to think about is. It wasn't all easy and and 
calming and peaceful because the Son of God was on the planet. I mean, they didn't believe him while he was here. I mean, people struggle now to believe that he is the Messiah and Christ, and they didn't even believe while he was there, even his own stepbrother. And maybe that was, in some ways, I've thought about that too, Deb, and maybe in some ways that was a protection to them. True. I mean, maybe the Lord didn't want them to fully understand everything as to protect them. Sure. And uh, they didn't maybe know for sure until he maybe appeared to them. And I, I think he, it would have been maybe among his family that he first would have appeared. You know, I, I know the first appearance that we really have were on the two on the road to Emmaus, but I like to think that he, he did appear to his family, to his uh, stepbrothers and sisters and others, not just Mary. Yeah, I mean, he appeared to Mary, I guess, first, then the two, then the apostles. Anyway, we'll go through all that when we talk about the resurrection. But I think that maybe they didn't know for sure until, I know Mary did. I know Joseph did. But the brothers and sisters, that'd be tough to have an older brother who your mom was telling you was the son of God. I don't know how much she told him, but uh, you're right. They didn't really have a witness until well, after the I, resurrection. I probably. also think about being the mom of these children and having that sacred relationship with the Savior. Yeah, how do you balance that? Yeah, I have, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Clearly I'm not married. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've often thought that tender relationship that she had with Jesus yeah. and then what those, you know, her responsibility with those other children mm -hmm. to... Yeah. Not, love, not loving love. Jesus. You wouldn't love Jesus any more than you love Jude or any more than you love James right, or right. the others. And yet right. you, you know something that maybe you can't you can't tell them everything. Right. And they didn't understand anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Thank you. Well, they go down to Bethlehem because the, the, the decree that comes out from Caesar Augustus that all the world needs to be taxed, right? Luke chapter 2. So they go down there because they're... They're of the royal blood. Both Mary and Joseph are the seed of David. And uh, David, the city of David, is Bethlehem. I mean, that's where that's where he kept his throne, his palace. Bethlehem was a royal city. This is also a city where Ruth and Boaz, they're, they're also, Jesus is also descendants of Ruth and Boaz in the genealogy. And uh, that's where they lived, was Bethlehem. And this is where really near Bethlehem, only a mile away, is where Rachel was buried, the beloved wife of Jacob. And I mean, I mean, Bethlehem was a, not just a royal city, but it was a the city of their fathers. It was a sacred city. And they go down there to be, to do their census, uh, to be taxed. And that, that was probably not so much maybe a Roman command that they go back to the city of their fathers, but more of a Jewish tradition. And I like to believe, if it was in the spring of the year, that it would have been the same time as maybe the Passover. I mean, what a better way to, to take a census than to, to do it at the time of Passover, when most people are traveling to Jerusalem anyway. They can go back to their the land of their origin and, uh, and do a census. So I, I kind of like to think that it's maybe... Uh, the birth is at the same time as the Passover. And maybe, not just because of the census, but because of the Passover, there's no room in the inn. Inns. Actually, Joseph Smith, uh, the prophet Joseph Smith in the Joseph Smith translation, he makes that plural. Not just no room in the inn, 
but in the ends or the cons, I mean the real translation of that is the con. And back in those days, the, the oriental eastern way was you traveled in caravans. And I'm sure that it wasn't just Joseph and Mary alone. I'm sure they were in a caravan. You did that for protection. You did that for a lot of just practical reasons. And when you got there, man, it wasn't just you you and your wife looking for a room. It was everybody else looking for a room. And there were been lots of other people there because of the census, maybe because of Passover. And they can't find any place to stay. President Nelson, then Elder Nelson, gave a whole talk on this at the BYU Devotional, talking about the caravan and the cons and where they may have stayed. And he kind of believed that they, they actually, you know, if there's no rooms available... Uh, that they would have just gone in the middle of a big, these uh, inns, or cons as they called them, had a lot of rooms around the animals. I mean, just, just picture kind of a courtyard filled with animals. And you put the animals in the center or in the courtyard surrounded by rooms to protect the animals from wolves, from thieves, from others. And uh, President Nelson believes pretty strongly that, they, that he was born in the middle of all of these rooms that were around them, all these people, and he's born in the center of them and laid in a manger among the animals there. But I, I think uh, many others believe that, and this is, this is apparently a historical fact according to the writers, Edersheim, uh, Farr, Farr believed this really strongly, who wrote The Life of Christ, who Elder Talmadge and Elder McConkie draw a lot of information from. He believes that he was uh, born in a cave. And there are there are hundreds of limestone caves in Bethlehem. And you, you did you guys go to yeah. the caves? Yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, those caves were used for similar reasons yes. that you just mentioned. Yeah, they, they were they used for the ponds. animals. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they, they, they stayed there. People would stay there. They would have their animals in the cave with them. There's a good possibility. When I went there, you know, they they have a uh, Armenian Orth Catholic Orthodox Church over the one cave that the Armenians in some traditions believe he was born in. And if you if you go, went down to the basement, did you guys go to Bethlehem? And yeah, you went to yeah, the church yeah, we and did. We did the old Armenian church right. and they're burning incense. Yep, yep. And uh, if you go down, you can see the cave where they yep. believe he was born. Yeah. And that's one place. There's another place where the Catholic, the, the other, church. the Roman Catholic Church thinks he was born in the middle of a church, which would have been kind of like, maybe like uh, what President Nelson said, you know, that he wasn't born in a cave, but in, in the middle of a, of a con. I, I know when I went there, and I went there a long time ago, and it was still fresh on people's minds that President McKay had visited there, David O. McKay, and that he had gone to some of the other limestone caves, and he had identified, he felt strongly that there was one cave, and it kind of became known as the, you know, President McKay's impression i remember going there and seeing that cave which was who knows and again it's not that important although we would all love to know and maybe someday we will but the, here's the important point and i i think young mcconkie uh, really says this better than i could ever say it is that he the point is it was essential that he descend below all things and in order to fulfill that scripture, that truth, that he was born in about the lowliest possible conditions a Jewish baby could be born into.
among the animals, smelly animals. No, no, uh, no crib for a bed. That it was, he was laid in a manger. Mary would have been somewhat prepared for this and brought swaddling clothes. And I know there's lots of people who make an important significance of swaddling clothes, and and I and I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't disagree with that. But swaddling clothes really means rags, and. I know she would have probably had more prepared for this baby than that. I think she knew that this baby was probably going to be born in Bethlehem. She knew the prophecy. And Micah prophesied of that. Mm -hmm. The prophet Micah prophesied that in uh, Micah chapter 5, I think it is, that uh, that she would be born, in, that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. So her going down there, I think she knew the baby was going to be born. I, I don't think she just wrapped him in a bunch of rags. But they were poor. They were really poor. And they had nothing. Uh, and evidence of that is when they presented him in the temple 40 days after his birth, she sacrifices two turtle doves. Well, normally you would give a, a burnt offering of a lamb and a, uh, um, a sin offering of a bird. And But if you're really, really poor, you can just sacrifice two birds. That's what they sacrifice. Uh, evidence of their 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 poor economic situation. So, I, I, you know, wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in a manger in the middle of uh, the animals and whatever's there. Speculation is that did they have people who helped them? Was there a midwife? Was there, you know, who would have helped Mary with all this? I don't know. Maybe angels attended her. I don't know. But, but uh, the birth was lowly. That's the point. I think that's a interesting foreshadowing to Jesus's life. Yeah, his entire life he spent with those who were marginalized, with those who were less fortunate, with the with the sinner, you know, with the destitute, with the diseased, with with all effects of the fall of Adam and Eve showing up in the human race. That's where Jesus spent his time. He experienced. He had experienced it. I, you know, it wasn't a, it what for Jesus, it wasn't an academic knowing. It was a, he knew it because he had lived it too, right? And through that and because of that, now I know he's a son of God and I know that empathy could have been achieved by way of being the son of God in any way that it needed to be. But he did go through that. And I think that it's important, maybe not for him, but it's important for us to recognize that he did go through that because now I can see, a, a, a God who, you know, when, when, for example, you know, Deb and I mentioned earlier that uh, we were at a, a funeral earlier in the week and somebody talked about how the person who, this young man who had passed away, um, did something for a homeless person, you know, and, and when we start, when we, when we do those things and, and we say, that's what Jesus would have done. Well, Jesus would have done that out of empathy as much as Anything else, because he experienced some of that yeah. himself, even yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah, the king of kings, lord of lords, right. a god, born in such lowly circumstances, laid in a manger. Well, there there had to be witnesses. God knew there had to be witnesses for this. So in Luke 2, after wrapping him in swallowing clothes, laying him in a manger, we read about the shepherds. 
I, did you guys go to Shepherd's we Field? Did. Yeah. yeah. Man, that was one of my favorite places. Yeah. We didn't get to spend enough time there. We did go. It was so when we were there in June, we were singing Christmas carols. Oh. And it was really sacred. And as we were singing Christmas carols, up from the kind of the hill where we, anyway, here comes a little boy, a crippled boy, mm. with a couple of lambs. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, it was just, oh, it was one of my favorite experiences was to be seeing Christmas carols in Shepherd's Field, looking over at Bethlehem on the opposite hill. I mean, all these cities, Jerusalem, six miles south is Bethlehem, and they're, they're built on top of these hills. And overlooking Bethlehem, I just, wow, it was so sacred, so special for me. And uh, the testimonies, we had a testimony meeting in Shepherd's Field. Anyway, thinking about these shepherds is quite amazing. And I, I actually like to think, I like the tradition or the thought, that these aren't just shepherds, but maybe these are, are shepherds overseeing the paschal lambs or the lambs that would be sacrificed and offered at the temple. I like that thought because ultimately, you know, they're... This is like a calling for them, and their everything that their whole livelihood and their calling, their their vocation is to to care for these lambs. Well, who else to be a better witness of the Lamb of God than these shepherds? I just I love this part of the story, and then the angels appearing. And when I think of the angels, I think where was I? Yeah. Where was I pre-mortally when this happened? Right, yeah. Was, was, were we watching this? I know I wasn't part of the choir, but I would have liked to have thought I heard the choir. <laughs> you would have been, Deb. Deb would have been. Oh, man, Deb, yeah. you were in the choir for sure. Yeah. I know you I were singing. We Don't think about that. Think if you were. Oh, I, I would love to be in a choir of angels. Think about that. I'll bet you were. Yep. I mean, there was no resurrection then. These are pretty mortal spirits. Sure. Right. There could have been translated beings, you know, I guess. I mean, there could have been, maybe it was this, the choir from the city of Enoch, but I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there could have been translated beings singing. Yeah. But I like to think, where was I? Well, did I get to hear this choir? And uh, I just think it's one of the great parts of the Christmas story, that this choir and singing, you know, glory to God in the highest Wow, I just, anyway. That's so, really cool. these shepherds, I like thinking of the shepherd boys. They would have been, uh, anyway, prepared. I believe they would have been prepared for this. And they act immediately. What's the, what's the words in, the, in Luke chapter 2 near the bottom of the, of the page in the second column where it says they, they went immediately. I mean, they... As soon as they had the command to go and fear not and all of that, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, they... Haste. In haste. With haste. Yeah. They went with haste. You know, like immediately. Like ran. <laughs> oh, man. They, they were so... I, they had to be prepared to just... You have that experience and then they just immediately respond. And I think they kind of know right where to go, and uh, maybe you've seen it in a vision, and they they find Mary and Joseph and the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. 
And it's, it's interesting that they bring that up twice, and Luke brings that up twice, about the manger and the swaddling clothes. Not just that Mary laid him in a manger, but they saw him in a manger. I mean, it's kind of a second <clears throat> witness. Luke wants to make a big deal out of that. I'm going to read it. I want to read uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through um, whatever. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding by the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, what shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let me just pause right there. I love when I hear, for unto you is born this day. Mm. Unto who? Unto yeah, me. Unto me is born this day personal. in the city. It is personal. In the city of David, a Savior, my Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. I read things, and I like to kind of see the maybe a metaphor in there. But, you know, I, I think of how often it is that I'm sore afraid. Yeah. Sore afraid to accept, for whatever reason, my own inadequacies, my, my disbeliefs, the way, my, my, in, my inaccurate view of the way I see myself, not remembering who I am. But I remember those mm -hmm. times when I am sore afraid. Yeah. I'm sore afraid. But if I listen... There's always heavenly hosts yeah. encouraging me too to come to Him, come to see this thing which has come to pass, and, and you know I think it's important for all of us. I, I take it as a personal importance in my own life that that you know when it's dark, when it's um, when it when I'm doing my business as righteous and as sacred as it may be, it can sometimes become a load. You know, it yeah. can be heavy and it can be, but when I, when I hear that, it's always a bad thing. No, it's not, but it's still heavy. You know, right. it, it's still weight. Right. Uh, and, and when I hear that, and then when I uh, am, am encouraged by that multitude or by the, the heavenly hosts, and I remember peace, goodwill toward men, that's peace, goodwill toward me. And then, and then. After that's happened, if I will take that same attitude, let us go now even unto wherever Jesus may be found. And in this case, it was Bethlehem. And see these things which have come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. You know, there's so much that can come to pass to us as we study the atonement of Jesus Christ. Mm. If we study our way and what it means in our lives to turn away from anything that uh, the effects of the uh, the fall of Adam and Eve, which we've spent the last three weeks talking about, when we turn away from that, when we accept the invitation to come and see this thing which has come to pass, and then we hastily go there. And, and whatever that experience brings us, that when we are there in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the answer to all of the problems, all of the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve, what a joyful thing that can be, not just for those shepherds, but for me and yeah. you and for yeah. all of us today, right? Yeah. And then it's recorded. 
in the next verse or two after that, that they w immediately went into the city. Yeah. And they didn't wait. It's the night, apparently. And I, uh, they go into the city. I love in in verse 17 when it, when basically the shepherds were bearing testimony of it. Right. And they were, I mean, like you said earlier, a witness. They're right. They were the witness, and then they bore testimony of it, and then on the next page, then people that are hearing it are wondering. <laughs> exactly. So, so we, it was... You're wondering. Yes. Witness. Yes. Wondering. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And how many of them maybe believed and went to hell the baby as well? We don't know. How many of them just, oh, these are shepherds, these are silly shepherds, and discounted it, didn't go look, didn't, never, never did enjoy the witness that they could have enjoyed? So anyway, I... One of the things, I just have to focus on 19 because I have a picture upstairs that my son Dakota gave me. And it says in there, and this is verse 19 that says, But Mary kept all oh, these yeah. things and pondered them in her heart. And I think about how a mom just holds things so sacred. So sacred. That's a good place to end. That's that's one of my favorite verses in Luke as well. Yeah, Mary, how does how does she say it again? Held all these things in her heart. But Mary kept all kept. these things and pondered them in her heart. I'm sure she's still pondering. <laughs> I wouldn't. Isn't that be. amazing? Yeah. Can you imagine that night? What she's thinking? Like, like seeing, feeling, hearing, mm. knowing. Deb sings the song "Mary, Did You Know." You know, she'll sit at the piano and play that, sing that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard not to get emotional when you hear that because you, you do wonder, did yeah. you know? Yeah. Did you know, Mary, that your son would grow up and all of this would be part of his earthly experience and none of it would be comfortable and easy for him, let alone you, right? Well, yeah, there's a lot more to this story and um, maybe we can finish that up uh, next, next week. Okay. We'll do it. And uh, talk about the uh, the coming of the wise men, which is probably about a year later. You know, the false tradition of Christmas, which I love this tradition, is that the wise men are there on the night of Jesus' birth, but actually they don't show up until about probably within a year later, just because based on the rest of the story and what Herod does with infants who are two and under. So most people believe Jesus could have been maybe up to two years old or sometime after the first year of Jesus yeah. that the, the wise men possibly showed up after seeing the star and taking maybe as much of the year to travel to where they needed to travel. We'll, 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 we'll talk about the yeah, wise we'll, men. We'll plan to do that. We have a Mary's lot. magnificent, you know, those great verses in Luke 2 about her praising God and, yeah. and uh, the, the presentation of Jesus well, at the and, temple, and, Simeon and Anna. and there, There's just so much more in this. Yeah, story. there's there's no way. And, and then, you know, there's a few secular things that maybe we should take a look at, too, and tie them back as well, you know, yeah. as part of our Christmas celebration. For sure. So, so, hey, everybody, thanks so much for being with us today. Deb, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. Um, wish you could do this more with us. But, uh, uh, gang, thanks so much, everybody, for being with us. Uh, we plan to take this little uh, kind of uh, this walk down Christmas lane, if you will, as we uh, talk about these important things. All uh, leading up. I mean, the reason we're really doing this, which is timely, 
but all leading up it, really to what we want to talk about soon, which is the Easter, the atonement of Jesus right. Christ, yeah. and and how he overcame the fall. Yeah, man, we're excited about that. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. I uh, hope your holiday preparations are going smooth and, and that you're feeling the peace and the spirit that is intended to be felt during this time of year. Until we uh, see you or talk to you again, be well. Take care, everybody. <laughs>